I've kind of been on this thing lately, this kick, and it always involves the word radical. And I was never a surfer, so I just want to be clear on that. But my message title today is called Radical Forgiveness. And I'm going to be dealing with, yes, you guessed it, the issue of forgiveness. And it's, a, it's an issue that's hard. It's an issue that's tough. It's an issue that very often becomes a stumbling block. It's an issue that we, if we can, we'll put it back in the closet and leave it there till next year and pull it back out, look at it, and put it back in the shoebox. Because it's very often the most painful one to deal with. And very often it is an issue that requires an action on our part. Somebody say amen. There usually is something we have to do even though we may have been the one that the event or the offense happened to. To hold a grudge is an easy thing, right? All you got to do is decide to hold one. I don't like you. That's it. That was easy. Pastor Nate, I'm sorry. I don't like you. Your hair always looks perfect. Everyone falls in place every week. I have to literally wrestle with mine. It's like, it never looks the same two weeks in a row ever. It's like, yeah. It's terrible. To hold a grudge is an easy thing. To swear to yourself you will never allow a person to hurt you again is an easy thing to do. How many of you ever done that? Ah, that's it. That's never happening to me again. Come on now. Come on now, a little honesty in the house. We don't want to add one sin on top of another. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's five of us. All right. I remember saying that. No one will ever get that close to hurt me again. Especially in my teen years. In my teen years, man, you form those habits early. You know, like you got burned by a girl and you're like, that's it. No one's going to burn me like that again. No, they didn't. I became the burner. You know, and see, so what becomes, you become, the, you move from being the victim to being the one that becomes the herder. So it never really stops. It becomes a cycle that perpetuates itself one way or another. And you're right, yes, you become the victim anyway. In fact, we do that one person, one moment at a door time thing until we find ourselves standing alone with nothing but bitterness and a heart that completely lives in a skeptical place. People say things like, I want to help you. And you're like, do you really? Sure you do. Go lay down behind my truck. I'll be out in a minute. You know, we just don't trust. We get to the place where we don't trust. Now, here's what I've never understood. And maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but I didn't grow up in the church. Like, I had a couple of, like, minutes in the church before I became a pastor. So I have a little bit of perspective. Not, not a ton, but some. I, I mean, we will take it from our friends. We'll take it from our coworkers. We'll take it from family but if somebody in church wrongs us, we're done. You know I'm right. 
and I can already hear it, well, they are to be held to a higher standard. Not by you, by God. Ouch. And I know, because here's the truth, and I'm going to say this now. Hopefully I haven't this week or anything, but I'm going to let you down. I'm going to fail you. And it's amazing to me over the years that people, when their pastor or leaders let them down, they're shocked. Like, I, I didn't get a Superman suit. Would have been very cool, though. But I didn't get one. I didn't get, like, this extra playbook that you don't have. You know, I have a family like you have. I have all of the same stuff in life that you have. I, I get sick. I get colds. All that kind of stuff, right? So the playing field is really, it's the same. I don't have like a special phone line to God that you don't have. I know some people think that, you know, on my iPhone, there's a special button. It's called 1-800-HELP-ME-NOW-JESUS. And I'm being facetious, but it's true. When I was in, down south, it was even worse. Like you lived in this like expectation of perfection. And at first I kind of thought, wow, that's kind of different. Then it was terrifying because you couldn't live up to it. No matter how hard you try, it used to keep me up at night. It was rough. In the end, we'll find ourselves standing alone with nothing but bitterness and a heart that is skeptical. The only way around this is to be a person who embraces what we want to talk about today, which is a subject called radical forgiveness. You see, our world right now doesn't even want to hear the word forgiveness. It's not popular. It's not mainstream. Really, our world is about get your own. Get you some. There's anger everywhere. We've been talking about that. There's political divide. I mean, I've talked to you all about what's going on in, in, in the native land from which I have come. A bunch of truckers that just decided, hey, we've had enough. And they just parked a bunch of trucks. Funny thing this week, a trucker or a politician said, yeah, we're just going to slash their tires. And then somebody said, and then you're going to do what to move the trucks? <laughs> you know, they're kind of big, you know. So much anger. And don't get me wrong, I don't have a problem with people peacefully standing and saying, enough is enough. The definition of radical, very new and different from the unusual or ordinary, extreme and radical change of or of relating to people who favor rapid and sweeping changes in laws and government. Other words from radical or radically, it's, a, it's an adverb. I mean, we've seen radical change in government, have we not? Yes. 
And so that word radical means like swift, absolute, complete overhaul change. And when we tie that with forgiveness, it's literally a radical change in mindset as well as the heart view. And I want to talk about it from Scripture today. I want to try and keep it, you know, a little bit light because I know where this can go. And please don't think that you have to, the whole church doesn't have to come to me and apologize to me for something you think I thought that you thought that we thought I thought you thought. Because this isn't about you and me. This is just about you and your heart and maybe things that you are thinking about. Because as I was going through this, I was like, man, we all got stuff. This applies to all of us. Imitating the forgiveness that flows our way. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So it is radical to think we can move from being mad to compassionate to one another, isn't it? To move from the place of being mad to compassionate. Our world lacks compassion right now. I think we can all agree on that one. I mean, even like when you go out to a restaurant just to hold a door for someone, they look at you shocked. Like, are you going to slam the door on my head when I go in so you can get there ahead of me? You know, they're just not sure. They don't understand kindness. That's the rub, right? Christ forgave us, so we don't have any right ourselves to hold on to what it is we're holding on to against somebody else. And might I add another piece of information? Usually, when there is offense or there is unforgiveness, usually you don't have all the facts. How do I know? I've mediated a ton of these conversations. And some of them have been like the Cold War for years. And then they explode, and then I end up having to drag them into my office and sit them down and, first of all, find out what's going on. And then as we get talking, I find out that they find out that they didn't know we, the facts. And there was a lot of assuming going on. And the devil loves when we fill in the gaps on our own. He loves that. Prioritizing others is so radical. I mean, if the church of Jesus Christ literally just put another person over themselves, if the whole church did it, what would it look like? Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Have you ever felt like you were talking to someone and they were keeping score? Come on, be honest. Have you ever felt that? It's like you kind of had to tiptoe through the landmine because you knew that they were keeping score of the things that maybe they think that you thought that they think that you thought you did wrong. Do you like how I do that? I don't even know how I did that. 
I have. I've been in those conversations where I'm like, I could see in their eyeballs, like they're keeping score. And it's sad. Because one of the things that I will say my dad taught me and my mom is that when you forgive somebody, it's gone. You don't bring it up again. You don't bring it up again. So husbands and wives, you get into an argument about something, and then a month later something similar happens, and you guys are having an argument. You don't turn around and bring the same thing from a month ago up because that's not forgiveness. That's keeping score. And sooner or later, your scorecard gets too long, and what will happen is it'll crush the relationship. And so you have to have a short memory. You just do. Let me ask a question. How many of you have failed at something more than once? Yeah, more than twice. Like men, how many of you forgot to put your dishes away? Like to the point where there are, there, there's like a foreign substance growing on it. And you told your wife that you are trying a science experiment. That was your answer. You know, these things happen. I get it. But habits form. And when you come together in a marriage, you're not dating anymore. You're not putting the best foot forward. No, they get to see all of it. My wife got perfection. She's lucky. And then she got four more perfections. Like this morning, they actually brought a box out here for her because they knew she was speaking. So they put a box here because she's tall. Not something you want to do to my wife. Anyhow. So he says, when we stand praying, so this is key. If you want to pray, the first thing, if you want your prayers to be heard, if you're holding anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father may forgive you. If we want to be forgiven, we got to let go too. And people will tell me all the time, I guarantee you, if I didn't say this, somebody would have come to me after church and said, you don't know what happened to me. And please, I'm not minimizing what might have happened to you because there are some incredibly evil people in the world that have done some incredibly evil things to people. But I need to be clear. It doesn't change that you need to forgive. And I'll tell you why. Because by not forgiving that person is still hurting you every single day. They have you in bondage, spiritually controlling you every single day. The minute you say, Jesus, please take this from me, and it's no longer a part of you, they can no longer hurt you. You might say, how... How does that work? I've worked with abused people. I've worked with people who have, I can't, I'm being careful here, but rated PG, you know what I mean? 
some horrific situations. And we've had to literally say, Jesus, I hand this to you. Take it from me. And they experienced freedom for the first time from their abuser, from their pain. And they began to walk on the road to healing. But as long as we clench it tight, it continues to hurt us. And it won't stop until it destroys us. I've watched so many people with such potential fail right here on the battlefield and just stop. Radical thinking that we can't be forgiven if we don't forgive. But it's part of the process. Now, how do we do it? I've had people say, you know, do I have to confront the person? I don't believe you do. I don't believe you always have to go to the person and say, in 1984, on a sunny afternoon, you don't always have to do that. Because that may be more painful and traumatic for you. Sometimes you just need to look up to your heavenly Father and say, Father, I forgive them. It's over. I let it go. It's done. I've even had people say, how do I forgive them? They've passed away. There's lots of things you can do. You can write a note, light it on fire. You can take a minute and look to the heavens and say, Father, they're not here, but you are, and I'm talking to you. And I forgive them. It's God that is the important one in the equation. He's the one that brings the freedom. Here's the radical give back in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins. Now, this one was hard for me because I came out of a Catholic background and I used to go into a little cubicle and a little window would open and I'd say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been like 19 years since my last confession. My list is really long and here it is. It wasn't that long, but here was my list. And he'd say, say two Hail Marys and three Our Fathers and, you know, one Apostles' Creed and do three kind acts. And I would literally feel clean until I left the church, got halfway home and started to use my potty mouth again, and then it was gone. What does this verse mean? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, first of all, the confession part is to God. Now, there can be a component where we may need to speak to the person we've offended. That's possible. But ultimately, we need to confess our sins before the throne. You see, Old Testament, we know that we had to make sacrifices. Now, we can come to the throne room of grace with boldness. And we can say, Father, I have sinned. I've done wrong. I mean, I remember as a kid. How many remember as a kid knowing, like, you, you broke a window or you broke something at home? How many remember that? And you knew it was going to be a thing. 
So you kind of tried to put, like, you were really nice all day. You cleaned the house, and, you know, like, you were, like, painted the car. You did all these things, you know. And you tried to, like, be really nice to your parents. Your parents, at this point, already knew you had done something. They were looking for the pet to make sure it was alive. They checked out to see if your, your brothers or sisters were there. They knew you did something. My mother would just wait. She would let me, like, just play out the rope. And then she would finally say, so what'd you do? I'm so sorry. And I mean, I was 25. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? Like, we... Uh, things can weigh on us. Sin can weigh on us. But if we confess our sins, he, the Bible says, is faithful, meaning he doesn't, he doesn't miss it. He's not going to not forgive you. He's faithful and he's just and will forgive us our sins. And not only that, he will purify, meaning he will like burn it away from all unrighteousness. Man, so that impurity will be gone. See, sin moves us from the place of being in right position with God to the wrong position with God. And I'm going to be very real here today. We can very often live in the place of self-justification. It is probably one of the most dangerous sins that we can harbor ourselves in, where we make excuses for why what we are doing is right, but it's not biblical. He says we have to forgive. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I had somebody once, not here, because you guys are wonderful people, you would never say this. But somebody once said to me, and I didn't really know what to do with this statement. Just tell me if you, if you know the answer, you could like put it in my mailbox. They said, Dan Corfield I like, Pastor Dan I don't. And I kind of went... I didn't understand I didn't understand the statement because I don't go like go into the back cave or anything on Sunday morning. Like really this is who I am. It's I, I am this way. The only difference is I don't carry a microphone around my house. I'm just being real. Like I really honestly have tried in all the years I've been in ministry to be authentic. It's really important to me to just be myself. Now, sometimes I do it better than others, but for whatever reason, this person had this thought that I was two people. And I asked them to explain it to me, and they wouldn't. I said, no, really, please explain it. I, I want to understand it. They didn't have an answer. It was weird. Baffling. The radical flip, Matthew 6.15. Trust me, we're almost done. Say amen if you're getting something. 
I know quiet can also mean the wheels are spinning, so I'm okay with that. Or it means you're sleeping. In either way, sometimes you got to sleep in church. It's healthy sometimes. That just makes me feel better. All right. Matthew 6.15, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. I don't know how else he could say it any more blunt. If you're going to keep a ledger against other people, then God will not wipe yours clean. It's just the way it is. He can't do it. We've seen that pattern in Scripture. There are parables about this. We have to forgive others their sins because when we forgive others, we're unburdening them from a load that they can't unburden themselves from. I did a sermon years ago where I put on all these bags, huge hockey bags, backpacks, and I mean, I filled them with stuff. That was a mistake because the bags were heavy. And I had like, I put names on them, like, you know, all kinds of names, guilt, shame, lust, anger, all these different ones. And, you know, I walked up to somebody who was supposed to be a Christian, like, how you doing? I'm like, doing great. And they're like, you look like you're carrying a load. I said, no, I'm awesome. And they're like, you look like you're weighed down just a little bit. I said, well, you know, I got some stuff. They said, you're carrying a lot of sin, man. And they started to help me unburden myself. And that is kind of the illustration of what sometimes we do to ourselves, but also do to each other if we're not careful. We have to be so careful. Radical forgiveness amount. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times, 70 times seven. So we understand that he's kind of essentially saying as often as they ask or as often as it's needed, Forgiveness doesn't run out. There's no statute of limitations on forgiveness. Now, I did have somebody who messaged me and they asked me about, you know, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And trust me, that's not something you can do by accident. I want to I say that in this room because it's one of the tricks the devil uses, especially with new believers. He'll say to them, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. God can't reach you. The truth is, you can't do that unintentionally. You have to choose to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And trust me, nobody in this room is even remotely close to that place. You'd be in a very dark place to do that. So when we look at being forgiven and how many times we've been forgiven, I don't know about you, but I consider myself as a believer How many of you were a bit of a klutz? As a believer, early on, I was a klutz. If you could make a mistake, I made it. I just, you know, I raised my hand at the wrong time in church. I, I spoke out at the wrong time. 
I just didn't know like the rules of church. You know, how many of you know what I'm saying? There's like the unspoken rules. How many of you know like it's not too long after you start going to church, you figure it out? You know? I didn't know any of those rules. None of them. But I quickly kind of figured out God's presence and his spirit. But I will tell you, there were people in the church who didn't receive me when I was young as a teenager for two reasons. And this was my first big stumbling block. Teens, I hope you didn't go through this. I had long hair, which back then, you were the devil. Or his friend, for sure. And I listened to a lot of secular music and wore rock and roll shirts. I had only been saved like weeks and people started to let me know that my outward appearance was ungodly within days of being saved. Now I'm going to be real with you. That's wrong. Because if God is working on the inside, eventually he'll deal with the outside. What I really needed at that time was some of those people to come alongside and put an arm around me and say, I am so glad you're here. Because what they didn't know is I didn't own a suit. I didn't own a dress shirt. I didn't own a tie, which everybody wore back then. I didn't own any of that stuff. And the clothes I was wearing, those were the best clothes I had. And I started to feel ashamed as a new believer to come to church by other believers. And it offended me. Now I've been in church all of three weeks and I got introduced to offense. And my dad knew something was wrong. So thankful for godly dads. Sat me down and he said, what's wrong? And I started to tear up and I said, dad, this is what happened. Put his arm around me and he said, you're just fine the way you are. I'm just glad you're there. And I found out later that, you know, he had a few conversations that dads have, you know. But he loved me through that time. And he put me back on track. And I want to encourage you that when you see people coming in and they don't fit the mold and they don't look right, don't make a snap judgment. Don't do it. Because chances are they have brought themselves with the best they got. And last time I checked, Jesus never one time addressed that issue. He just addressed the heart. All right. I promised I would speed up, so here we are. Matthew chapter 6. I hope these verses are ministering to you because when I was going through it, man, I was like, there's a lot of verses on forgiveness. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive you. It's pretty simple. It's contractual. If you forgive, I'll forgive. If you don't, I won't. I mean, God's just being very matter-of-fact. I really try in my life to embrace this principle. I, I wish I had it perfect. I really do. It's always hardest, I think, as a parent when it's your kids, right? You know, when things happen to your kids, parents, grandparents, you kind of take up the, uh, for your kids and your grandkids. But I've also learned that sometimes those things are what mold your kids. Those are the things that help grow your kids and get them strong. John chapter 8. Now, this is a different illustration. This is probably one of the most, I think, painful visual illustrations on forgiveness outside of, obviously, the cross. In John chapter 8, at dawn he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group. There's no mention of the man. The man's not brought in. He's not being charged. He's not being scolded. He's not even being reprimanded from what we see. So we know this is a setup. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They didn't care about the issue of forgiveness. They didn't care about the issue of her redemption, her soul, nothing. They cared about tripping up Jesus and her life was going to be the tool. They minimized her to nothing. Now you might say, what does it have to do with today? It has a lot to do with today. Look at what's going on in our world today. People are being used as pawns in the news. People are being used as pawns in our world for political gain, for personal gain, and it's not even about the person they're talking about. It's just to get what they want. Power. Power is a dangerous thing. Only one amen to that. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning me, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I mean, Jesus was a radical teacher. He was able to open the scriptures in ways they had never heard before. And at first it fascinated them, but they saw the power base shifting. They saw that people were flocking to Jesus and they were losing their power base. And so now these people were pawns in a game. This woman was a pawn in a game. She didn't matter, but she mattered to Jesus. See, 
To him, she was all that mattered in this situation. And I love that fact. He addressed the situation simply with a finger writing on the ground. And at this, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, there is no concrete evidence as to what was going on. I've heard different opinions. I have my own. One is that he might have been writing down the names of the men who were standing there who might have been with her as well. Nothing like getting called out. But whatever he wrote was strong enough that they, oldest to youngest, and what I do, I do believe is that those of us who are older, who have more life behind us than in front of us, we recognize the weight of what's behind. We don't have the bravado of youth anymore. And then Jesus just kind of steps into her moment. He steps right into her moment. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't stand there for 10 minutes and beat her life full of shame. He knew that she knew her life was wrong. He just told her, leave that life. But what he did is so indicative of godly forgiveness. He took her by the hand, literally spiritually, and lifted her out of it. And he did something that only the Holy Spirit of God can do. He gave her value. This world and the sin in it will strip you of any kind of value. But Jesus will pour value back into you. going to ask Pastor Nate to come back because I'm done. See how fast his track shoes move today. Oh, look at you. Well, they're all just messing with me today. <laughs> I thought I'd have time for, you know, Whenever pastors talk about the issue of forgiveness and forgiving, there's always two prevalent thoughts that float through the room. One is, is there a problem and do a bunch of people need to forgive the pastor? Not to my knowledge, and if there are, please, please just talk to God about it. I don't need to know, okay? Um, I believe with all of my heart, it's just part of teaching the whole counsel of God. 
we need to understand the power there is in forgiveness. I mean, if Jesus was willing on the cross to turn to a thief who asked for forgiveness and say, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, if, that, if there was ever a time that Jesus could have been selfish, if there was ever a time that he could have said, you know what, just give me a minute. I'm, I'm kind of busy. That would have been it, but he didn't. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means that's a fancy word for reconciling or helping repair the relationships between people and God. It's our job to bring them back. And so I want to ask the question, and only you know the answer, is the offense that you hold on to worth the damage it's causing in your life? That was a tough one. I have a personal one. that I have struggled with off and on for a long time. As a young minister, I saw a lot of miracles and healings and all kinds of things. And I don't say that to be, you know, a bragger at all, because it had nothing to do with me. I was just available. But then my dad got sick. And I thought, well, this will be like everything else. And I would pray and read to him every night. Pull my guitar out, play some songs. Some nights he didn't want to hear it. Some nights he did. Some nights I didn't give him a choice. And, uh, and he died. And I remember in our first house, just laying on the floor in the living room, face down, just saying, God, I don't understand why you let this happen. And those words that I spoke out loud that day, you might say, those are normal. That makes sense. You're right. They can be normal. But those words became a 10-year-plus battle for me because I wouldn't let it go. And every time I would go to pray for somebody and God would heal somebody, I would wonder, why didn't you heal my dad? Why didn't you heal my dad? Why didn't you heal my dad? My dad was only 55. Why didn't you heal my dad? He was doing so much in the kingdom. He was running Bible studies and working in jails and doing all this stuff. And finally, I just got to the point where I had to recognize that what I was holding on to was hurting me more 
than what God could pour into me. And I recognize that one day what I don't know now, I will know in full. And God will reveal it all to me. And maybe you have a story like that. My advice to you is to let, just to let it go. It may not make sense to you now, but one day it will. One day it will. So maybe you're here today and you say, listen, I am ready to let go of something. I don't need to know what it is, but I just want to pray for you in closing. Let me see your hand. Just hold it up. I see your hand. Thank you for your honesty today. I'm looking up top. That's cool. Serving God's not easy, boy. I'll tell you. We take our lumps along the way. But it's still the best thing going. And God has great things ahead for those who would truly seek Him and serve Him. Father, I thank You right now that if we could truly get to the place of just forgiving and letting go, oh, what a sweet aroma of healing You would pour over our hearts. That that oil would just pour healing that would go deep into every crack and every crevice and that the pain would be gone and that there would be a new season of growth in our lives. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for every hand that was raised today, we're ready to let it go. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just let it go to you. And we ask you to take it, take it far from us and receive it to yourself. And we trust you to walk us through the season that we find ourselves. And we thank you, God, for your incredible plans and your power. You are an amazing God. Wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace. Thank you, Jesus. And everybody said, can we just give him thanks together one time? I hope you have a wonderful week.